Hi everyone, my name is Kine and welcome to the first episode of Think Queen. Now you may know me as the math queen, but I have a lot of other interests outside of math. I love history, language, astronomy, music. I just love to learn and ask questions. And that's exactly the idea behind this podcast. It's me and you and a guest. And we're asking some big questions and learning something new together. So let's do this. I've got a riddle for you. If f of x is equal to the quadratic equation mx squared plus 2x plus 5, and g of x is the quadratic 2x squared minus nx minus 2, then what are m and n if the function f times g goes through the points 1, negative 40 and negative 1, 24? Okay, I, I know it's not as much of a riddle as it is just a math problem. In fact, this problem was sent to me by one of my family friends who's in his last year of high school right now and needed help with his homework. We're not actually going to solve this question right here on the podcast. The reason I asked it is because questions of that sort usually elicit one of two reactions in people. Some of you will hear those numbers and the gears may start turning right away and you may be thinking of the answer. And then for other people, that just caused you anxiety, stress, confusion and memories of school start rushing back. For lots of people, the thought of being put on the spot to do math, like calculating a 20% tip or subtracting two large numbers from each other is like their idea of hell. So why is it that math is so unpopular? Is there something about math that just makes it so different from other subjects we learn in school like science, English, and history? Is it because of bad teachers? Or is it just that some people have different brains that numbers just click easier for some than it does for others? To help me answer these questions, we've got Vanessa Vicaria here with us, aka The Math Guru, CEO of a boutique math and science tutoring studio in Toronto, and author of Math Hacks, Cool Tips Plus Less Stress Equals Better Marks. Hi, Vanessa. Okay, first of all, I just went through such a range of emotions as you were saying the math question. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, do I have to answer this on the spot? Then I was like, wait a second, I know how to do this. Then I was like, oh, like there was there was a lot. So I feel like I can't wait to unpack this all with you because I almost like threw up and then simultaneously got like so excited in the span of two seconds. <laughs> I know. Well, okay, before we start, I want to tell people how I know you. So I got a message from this girl a few years ago, probably. It was in all caps and she was like, inviting me to come on my podcast. The podcast was all about math therapy. So I thought you'd be the perfect guest for this episode. So I want you to tell us a little bit about your story and your math journey. In brief, when I was in high school, I wanted to be a rock star and marry Keanu Reeves. Those are still my dreams to this very day. I'm in a rock band. Keanu is still not married. So hopes are high. The point is that I failed grade 11 math not once, but twice. The whole time just sort of being told people like me don't do math. I'm the artsy type. I'm this. I'm that. Like I wear black lipstick. Like I meant for the creative art. So while I was failing math, I never really thought much of it. I just thought, well, yeah, I'm not a math person. So I failed grade 11 math twice. I passed in summer school the third time with a 57. My parents are like, babe, that's like so nice that you want to marry Keanu Reeves and move to Hollywood, but like, please get your act together. <laughs> so they sent me to this alternative school. It was like a vibe. There were only a hundred kids in this whole school. It was in this office building. Like we call teachers by their first names. There was none of this division of like the jocks and the cheerleaders and the math people and the not. It was just different. And I walk into my math class and I say to my grade 12 math teacher, her name's Eva. She's the best. We're still best friends. I said to her, you're going to have a lot of trouble with me. I'm not a math person. And she looked at me and she was like, what? And I was like, oh, oh, I'm, I'm not a math person. And she just looked at me and said the words that would change my life forever, which were, that's not a thing. 
And I ended up with a 98 in grade 12 math, not because I suddenly became good at math, I'm using air quotes, but because I would ask questions. You know, when I faced failure or an obstacle, I didn't think to myself, oh, like I'm genetically incapable of this, right? Like anyways, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, I end up starting a rock band literally because of that. Like that moment taught me that just because you fail at something over and over again, just because you're told you're not the type of person who can do this or that, it doesn't mean that any of that is true. So I ended up starting a rock band, but I also ended up being like, oh my God, like we need to stop this myth. This rumor of the math person is so damaging to people. It not only affects them in math, but it affects them in life Mm -hmm. because being not good at math, I know we'll talk about this later, but it sets up a limiting belief that you're not, you're certainly, you're just born not for certain things. Anyways, blah, blah, started tutoring company, end up doing my master's in math education. My thesis was called Imagining a World Where Paris Hilton Loves Math, where I researched what we're going to be talking about today, which is why math has such a bad reputation. And I started this podcast that you were on math therapy because I realized that adults carry math trauma with them. Like that moment you realize you're not supposed to be good at math sticks with you for the rest of your life. And it can be devastating. I feel like me and you, we sort of have similar stories in the sense that we both sort of exemplify math people and art people all like in one person because I love math. I'm a math nerd, but I'm also all of this. I'm in full drag for everybody who's listening and not watching. And you are in a rock band, which I love. Which is funny because there's all this talk. Even when I was young, there were people who were in school that were like, I'm a math person. No, I'm an English person. I like um, literature and reading and I'm better at this more than that. You hear people talking about left brain versus right brain. Uh, So you think there's no truth to that? I just threw up on the podcast just so everyone (laughs) knows. I think it's so interesting is what I think. I mean, I can't wait to dig into the juicy bits of it, but I think it is like very convenient for many people that you can only be one thing. I think as a society, as people, we really like to categorize. We like heuristics. We like mental shortcuts. We like to make things easier for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when somebody occupies too many checkboxes, we cannot digest the information. So I think this right brain versus left brain, logical versus artsy is one of the biggest tropes. And it's so crazy to me because kind, like you know more than anyone else, what is probably the number one skill in math? It's creative thinking. Mm -hmm. It's being able to look at a problem and find a creative solution to it. Like the biggest math problems right now, climate change, you know, the cure for cancer. We don't need like pure logical thinkers. We need people who can look at these problems from a creative perspective and come up with a creative solution. So I mean, right brain versus left brain, like what? I, I just like scientifically doesn't hold up. First of all, that's not how the brain works. And Mm -hmm. I, again, I think it's a very convenient way to just be like, you're one or the other, like pick Mm -hmm. one and stay in your lane. We love to categorize people. We love to categorize people. Let's just say that again. We love it. We love it. So let me ask you this. Why do you think that math seems to be so unpopular among both students and adults? Oh my God. I have like goosebumps. I'm so excited for this question. (laughs) So first of all, I want to just ask everyone this question. Have you ever seen a movie where the cheerleader is good at math? No. Really? None. 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 The closest I can think is like Mean Girls because Katie is good at math. No. But she's not really. Who is good at math? Katie Heron. Yeah, but she wasn't the, yeah. she wasn't like. Yeah, she wasn't the she Regina had to George. Pretend, yeah, she had to pretend like she wasn't. To be popular. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's actually, that movie's the perfect example. I will say now, even though this show has really gone downhill, and I know this isn't a pop culture podcast, but Betty in Riverdale and Veronica, like the Riverdale girls are smart. 
and they're cheerleaders. But like also now that show has like dragons on it. Okay, anyways, <laughs> the point is, if you think about Hollywood in itself and even celebrities, if I mean, my, my thesis started with just talking about women, but forget it. Let's move on. Like, look at the characters who are good at math, like Matt Damon from Good Will Hunting, mm-hmm. the guy from A Beautiful Mind. Even, I will argue, Queen's Gambit, okay? Mm-hmm. The idea is if you are good at math, you are like- A hermit. You have no social skills. You're a hermit. Mm-hmm. You have serious like- going on you know like you can't have friends like it's basically you have math skills at the expense of every other thing Mm -hmm. that a human would want in their lives so first of all that makes math unpopular so even if you get the inkling that maybe math is interesting i think subconsciously especially when you're a kid you're like but at what cost Mm -hmm. like do i want to pursue this so that's number one number two this is something we never talk about have you ever seen someone paint a painting, a beautiful painting, and have you ever said, wow, that person's really smart? No, we don't use smart in that way. We do not. Smart is reserved for math. It really is. Like, And a couple other things, but it's like, literally, this happens to me. I get off stage. I'll perform a rock show. Okay, a kick-ass rock show, might I add. I'll get off stage, and someone will be like, oh, like, what do you do in real life for money? Because like, obviously, you don't make money being a rock star. <laughs> I'll say I'm a math teacher. And then immediately, someone will say, you must be really smart. I'm like, bro, you don't even know me. Like, I could know nothing in the world except how to do math. How does that make me smart? So mm-hmm. I think here's here's the other thing is there's so much pressure. We know as a society that being good at math makes you smart. So the second you start fumbling around with math, it's not like you're thinking, oh, maybe I'm not good at math. You're really thinking. You're thinking, I'm dumb. I'm dumb. And like, Mm -hmm. imagine you're a kid or a teenager. The anxiety is like, there's so much pressure because like, if you're not good at math, all of a sudden you're not intelligent. And that's like a really crazy horrible feeling Mm -hmm. so I think that's the other reason math is so unpopular is it's there's so much weight on it there's so much pressure on it and then lastly like everything but you know especially math because it's so cumulative like it requires hard work right like so you you do have to it's something you have to work at and I find that increasingly we are not valuing oh my god kind I don't want to call out TikTok but like TikTok is a huge reason for this go for it idea of hard work is so unpopular. Like I hear from parents all the time. They'll say, I'm looking for a tutor for my kid. Kid A is getting an 80 in math, but she has to work so hard. So I really need to get her a tutor. So she has to work less. Mm. You know, it's just taking her too much time. Kid B is getting a 60, but I'm not worried about him because like it just comes so naturally to him. And it's like this idea of like, if it doesn't come naturally, you're not good at it is weirdly reserved for math. Mm-hmm. If we were an athlete, we'd be like, go practice, get on the field. You wouldn't be like, oh, well, naturally, you can't just like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know anything about sports, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Let's okay, not use I'm the sports done. examples. <laughs> no sports examples. <laughs> I think math also occupies this like unique subject where not only is it unpopular, but people seem to be proud of not doing math, of not being good at mm. math. I mean, you you bring up the point that it makes people feel dumb if they're not good at it, but you'll hear lots of people very proudly say, oh, I hated math in school. I was never good at math. Where I feel like people don't say the same thing about like, oh, I was never good at reading. I hated reading in school. People don't want to say that they're uncultured. People don't want to say that they're bad at A, B, and C, but like people just throw out that they're bad at math and they don't even want to try to be good at it. 
Okay, but what do you think about my first point in relation to that? Do you think, like, I haven't, I've never thought about it this way, but now that you're saying that, I'm like, if you say you're bad at math, are you actually saying I'm too cool for math? Like, are you saying mm. I'm the cheerleader? I may be. Maybe you're right because if right if being good at math is like the nerdy hermit kid and being bad is like you're yeah. the cool cheerleader, you're sort of like distancing yourself from the thing that all the nerds do. That's what I'm wondering now. Like now you're really making me think about this. I think it's two things. I think it's a like misery loves company thing. So it's almost mm. like, you know, when you speak self-deprecatingly about yourself so that you're the one who says it instead of someone else. Yes. Like you're like, oh, Which like, we all do, I'm in so fairness. ugly. You're like, we all do. We all do. I'm just like wondering if it's part that, but I also wonder if it's part like, I was too busy smoking cigarettes to pay attention in math class mm -hmm. vibes. You know, I know smoking isn't cool anymore, <laughs> okay, but it was once, guys. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Welcome back to the podcast. Let me ask you this. People don't like math for all these reasons. Yeah. Do you think it's because of the way that it's taught? Do you think it can be taught differently? Or do you think that math is just like an inherently hard subject and it's something that you have to work hard at? Okay, such a good question. Okay, I'm going to answer your question with a question quickly. Have you read Building Thinking Classrooms by Peter Liliadal? I haven't. Okay, so whatever, fine. Who cares? The point is, it's like... <laughs> There's always like a math trend, right? That's like sweeping the nation. Remember when like growth mindset came mm -hmm. out? Like that was the thing. So I have just started reading this. There's so much hype in the math education world about this right now. And everyone's talking about it at every education conference I go to. And I was finally like, okay, what? It, like, fine. Let me just like, let me see. Oh my God. So basically it's like, there's two things. Like the first is math has been taught in a certain way since the beginning of like education, right? Like sit at your desk, do this stuff, whatever, whatever. We make tweaks here and there, but it's kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And we still have the majority of people not liking math. Now, this book is basically saying we are at a point, case 2023, we are at a point where we are teaching kids to do this same stuff, right? Like what they're doing is mimicking a teacher. A teacher is being like, here's the quadratic formula. Here's exactly how you use it. When you have this type of question, do this. When you have this type of question, do this. Then they give you the homework. And you know, that question you said at the beginning of this podcast episode, I remember that's one of the questions we teach in grade 11, MCR3U. I know exactly what it is. It's using quadratics mm -hmm. and systems of equations. Like we give them that question. And in Peter Liliodal's book, he's like, we at no point in a math class really do we teach kids to think. That's not one of the skills you're giving. Mm -hmm. And that's why as a tutor, I can say this on tests now for adults watching, there are four sections, knowledge where you're doing those mimicking things, application where you have to take that knowledge and apply it to a concept you've never seen before. And then thinking and communication. Let me tell you right now, every time kids get to that application section, they're like, but I've never seen this question before. Mm -hmm. But I've never, we never did this question in class. Yeah. And I think what happens, again, I'm not quoting Peter Lilly at all, but like borrowing his idea is that we treat kids like they don't know how to think and that they don't want to think. And kids then learn mm -hmm. that they don't know how to think and they don't want to think. And that is a feeling. Like, so imagine you're in this math class and all you're being taught to do is parrot the teacher. They're teaching to the test. They're teaching to the test. We always say that. And they just are, right? Like for the most cases, they are. It is a very disempowering feeling as a student. And I think this idea of like, does math require more work? Is it more hard? I really believe if from a young age, we taught kids math in a way that like me and you are talking about it, like math is about problem solving. I'm going to give you two 
plus two, but I want you to figure out how to add it up. Give me five different ways you could add these numbers up instead of just being like, memorize it. Two plus, you know what I mean? And I also want to say this about this, like, are things hard or whatever? Okay, sorry. I keep quoting books, but have you read (laughs) Grant by Angela Duckworth? I haven't. You're making me feel very unread. (laughs) These are like the two books I've read. No, and it's also like, because I'm in education. But the reason I bring it up is her whole book is about how things being hard should not be a bad thing. Like, Mm -hmm think about it. When in a time of your life have you done something super easy? Like, you know, you wrote a math test. It was super easy. At the end, you're like, yeah, I got 100. It was easy. Mm -hmm. Versus the time you wrote a math test, you worked your ass off. And at the end of the test, you're like, that was really hard. But I think I like did well. And like that feeling of elation and pride and power. So like, I do not think we innately need to dislike hard things, Mm -hmm. but I think we need to be rewarded for hard things instead of simply rewarded for results. Circling back to you being like, is it the way it's taught? Yeah. If we only reward a 90% versus the work that went into that 90, we're going to continue to feel that way about it. We're rewarding Mm -hmm. the wrong things in school. You know what? When I was in high school, it did come pretty easy to me. Like I could like ace tests because I found the algorithms that the teachers were showing us, they made so much sense. When I went to university, oh my gosh, it was such a huge leap and the classes got so hard. Like in high school, I could easily get a hundred on a test, but it was in university that I really had to work so much harder. And when I would get like even an 80 or a 90 on something in university, I was like so happy. I would read a question and it would take me all week to think of the answer while I'm like driving to school, while I'm like at the store, I'm like thinking about how I'm going to do this question on the assignment. And so when I would get it, I would feel like so proud of myself. Is there a difference in the quality of emotion you felt when you like did well in high school and got that hundred? Because the way you're even talking about it to me right now, you're like, yeah, like it was cool. I would get a hundred. And then when you're talking about your 80 in university, like you're lighting up, you're like a Christmas tree right now. Like, do you feel a difference in the quality of that? Yeah, because I felt like I was really challenged. Yes. Which I, which is what I went to university for. So I, to- I totally agree with what you say about the hard work. Because you're so right, like, it's the hard work that makes it rewarding. It's not just memorizing a thing and getting the marks on it, which is why, you know, when people can't memorize, they feel so frustrated because the way they see it, math does not really relate to the real world. So they're sitting in class thinking, I'm working so hard, staying up all night. My teacher and my parents are yelling at me. I have to memorize this Pythagorean theorem to get good grades on this test. And I don't even know what the heck this is all for. You know, I'm not even going to use the Pythagorean theorem in real life. Meanwhile, the schools aren't teaching us about these real things like mortgages and taxes. Instead, I'm like having to memorize the quadratic formula, uh, which I don't even know if I'm going to need after all of this. So I understand why people are frustrated. Uh, Yeah, it's like I totally get it. If I was like placing a hierarchy of blame, I'd be like the media, the education system and the patriarchy. That's a hierarchy of people who are to blame for this. Do you ever notice that when those like crazy like bed mass riddles go viral on on uh, social media, like this happens like twice a year, like some basic like oh, algebra all the question time. all the time? Yeah, everyone gets into them. Even the math haters, people <laughs> love it. You know why? We're at, we're not giving you a mark. We're not like there's no. All of a sudden, everybody's great at math. <laughs> everyone loves it. Everyone 
everyone has a strong opinion about whether you should multiply yeah. or divide first. <laughs> like everyone's so passionate. Uh-huh. And that's how math should be. It's like, it's a discussion. It's a why. There's not necessarily even, you know this from university math, sometimes there isn't even an answer. Like mm-hmm. that's not even what you're trying to find. Like, oh my God, look at how hyped we're getting. I'm getting like just so <laughs> pumped up talking about this. People like me and you who, you know, like math now, I feel we talk about math in such romantic ways about math is creative. Math is all about creative thinking and it's fun and it's cool. I feel like Some people at home who are listening to this are going to be like, what kind of math are you talking about? Well, totally. I mean, if we could say something to those people, I think it's almost what we started the podcast by saying, which is like, yes, you know, arithmetic is a type of math. Two plus two is a type of math. But I would ask every adult listening to this right now, how many problems have you solved in your life? Like, are you the person in your friend group or in your family that when everyone gets in a fight, you're the one coming up with the solution on how to solve it? Like, are you the person who's great at packing a car trunk for a road trip on tour? I cannot do it. I have my spatial skills. Like, I have not worked on them. Like, I can't fit everything in. Like, are you solving puzzles? Are you the person who was like, something weird is going on. I am spotting everyone wearing Crocs all of a sudden. There's a pattern. There's a trend. Like... Are you? There are so many ways to use math creatively that we don't celebrate because adults listening to this, the last time you heard math was in your classroom with a teacher yelling at you, maybe, maybe not, I don't want to blame the teacher, but like where your math skills were literally evaluated by a grade on your test, a grade often related to procedural and memorization and formulas. Mm-hmm. So like it makes sense for everyone else to have like a completely like a icky relationship with math because the things I just named named, we don't call them math. Mm-hmm. Like when they think of math from schools, they think like arithmetic, adding big numbers together, algebra, finding X. But you're right. It's also problem solving, spotting patterns, all of those other things that make up what math is. It's not just arithmetic. Totally. There's one argument that I've heard, which I think is a pretty strong one, actually, about calculators. In schools, lots of us on tests will say, no calculators on this test. We want to see you doing your own work. But kids will often say, well, when you're an adult, everybody has a calculator in their pocket. So why are we doing tests and teaching in a way as if we are never going to have access to a calculator? Not only that, but we have phones which can solve math problems by taking pictures of them. We have graphing calculators. We have all this amazing technology. So what is your opinion on schools banning calculators, banning photo math, Desmos? Do you think we should embrace it or do you think it's cheating? It's a pretty simple for me, like in elementary school, you're not allowed a calculator because you are learning numeracy and number sense. So like no one can argue with me and say, I never need to understand what two times two is because I have a calculator because the intrinsic knowing of those numbers and understanding how numbers work is what leads to being comfortable with math. Like this is the same thing as being like, why bother learning the alphabet? Like we all have apps on our phone. We all have dictionaries. We all, you know what? We all have autocorrect. Should we learn how to spell? Forget it. We should still learn how to spell and how to sound out Mm -hmm. words and stuff. So like, yeah, I guess we need to know the basics. Yes. Because you need to at least know how to put it into the calculator. The thing that people struggle with is where to even start. What is the equation? Like when they see a real life word problem, they don't know, okay, which number do I divide by which? Do I take off 5%? Do I add 5%? They don't even know where to start. So I think that is what we need to sort of give the kids those tools. No, you're completely right. I'll switch gears a little bit because I want to talk about more like how math is taught in schools. I have a little brother right now who's in high school. Um, so sometimes I'll, like, I'll, I'll look over his shoulder and see what they're doing in school. They're doing coding now mm-hmm. in math class. 
which I love because I, I feel like technology is advancing. The world is changing. So there's lots of talk about adding like financial literacy and coding to math class because these are the skills of the 21st century. So do you think that like more curriculums should be updated to have more of these new world skills? First of all, 100%. But what I really think is we need to like burn it all down to the ground, like tower card moment in the tarot deck. Like, we and need start to over st- from scratch. Start over. Like, there are no new textbooks. There's still no new textbooks for these new math courses and concepts. Kids have crumpled worksheets. Like, all that to say, 100% they should be teaching this stuff. Kids have been demanding this forever. I got to tell you, I have like crazy financial anxiety related to math. Like I feel like when my mortgage broker tries to talk to me about a mortgage, I start sweating and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And I'm good at math, but like Mm -hmm. the concept is foreign to me. I never really understood it. Like there's more buy-in for kids if they're doing real life stuff. Mm -hmm. However, I also would like to say that even a grade nine kid is not going to care if we're teaching them how to calculate mortgages. That is so far ahead in their lives. Like, <laughs> but I true. think it's all important. So I do think that that stuff is important, especially the coding and the financial literacy. I do think so. But I think this is one of those situations where I'm like watching it happen and the rollout is so messy and it's so clumsy and it's just like, admit it, guys. Half of the stuff is irrelevant. Like take it out and start over. And the way they're doing it right now in Ontario is they're doing it grade by grade. So like mm-hmm. first they did grade nine, but grade 10 stayed the same. Then they're going to do grade 10. It's a mess kind of. The whole point in school is that it there should be building blocks. So one thing builds to the next and you still have all these like units and chapters that are never visited again. So yes, real life skills should be taught. <laughs> I know because I follow you on Instagram, you've been doing a lot of stories and discussion about whether we should ban homework in schools. Oh, so yeah. I'm really curious to see your thoughts. Wait, what are your thoughts? When I was in university, most of our grade was homework and oh. I felt I liked it because the school day is only so long. So being able to take um, the problem home and work on it throughout the day really helped me. So I appreciated it because the university day was structured so that while we were in school, that was just the lecture. And then at home was when we would actually do the math ourselves. So when we're at school, we're just listening to the teacher. Then when we're at home, that's when we're taking the pencil to the paper. But I do understand for younger ages, homework can be classist. Not every student has access to the internet. Not every student has free time. Some students are having to work to support their families. So I understand how at young ages, homework can really be discriminatory. So yeah, that's the thing. What you're describing in university is what happens in normal school, right? Like you go to school, you learn the lesson, you take the work home. I started off this discussion coming in hot with the, of course, kids need homework. You know, like I was Mm -hmm. like, well, you need time to practice stuff independently. You know, so often you learn something in class, you need to digest it for a bit. You can't do the work right away. You need to go home and think about it. But yes, then I started hearing from a lot of people about this, about the issues around it being classes and also a lack of equity and this idea that like some kids have to work jobs you know they don't Mm -hmm. have that time after school or they have to babysit younger siblings like that really stumped me like I was kind of like okay so what's the solution here I think kids need to practice oh and also the idea of like you know what if kids have parents at home who can help them versus those who Mm -hmm. don't after talking to so many people I've come to what I think would be ideal okay and this goes back to what we just talked about of the burn it all to the ground Mm -hmm. first of all there's so much in the curriculum we don't need there's just so much wasted time there really is (laughs) so it's like in an ideal situation maybe here's what would happen so we throw everything in the garbage, we start again. Okay. All of our classrooms are now thinking classrooms, thanks to Peter Lilia doll, right? Like kids are <laughs> collaborating. They're working on problems that involve multiple concepts. They're not just mimicking things, which allows for two things. Number one, we are teaching multiple concepts at once. 
Okay, so that saves time. But two, we're taking out the trash. There's a lot of stuff that really doesn't need to be taught right now. You take that stuff out so you have more time in a day. So then lessons become half the class you're learning a concept, the other half you're practicing. Or maybe it's like Monday, Tuesday lesson. Wednesday is like in-class homework day, but like schoolwork day and you're doing work. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't know a lot about this. I don't know if you do, but like Finland, there's no homework. Like they have a totally different system and they're ranked third in the world. Like, I don't know. What are they doing? Yeah. There's a way to do it. Yeah, I like the idea of sort of starting everything from scratch because yeah. the system has so many like flaws that it's so hard. As yeah. you said, everything that's changed gets tweaked in tiny little increments here and there. And nobody's really doing like a big overhaul of the whole thing. Yeah. Except I guess like small tutoring studios like yours who can really like go at it from a totally different angle. But you still are working within the confines of what they're bringing you to do, right? Like you're still like, oh, okay, I've got to teach you this thing. I know you're never going to use it. And I know your teacher wants me to do it a certain way. So I will. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like when you organize your closet, like imagine you're just like, oh, I'm just going to like fold a couple of things. No, throw everything to the ground, color coordinate the whole goddamn thing and like put it in order so you can see everything. Like you're not going to find anything. Yeah. I have one more question for you. Okay. If you were to talk to like an adult, somebody who doesn't have to take any other math classes in their life, and they are still saying, oh, I had math trauma from school. What would you tell them to make them feel that math is still worth trying, that math is still fun? How would you convince somebody that math is can still be enjoyable? Or do you think that not everybody has to like math? Here's what I would say. This is what I say. This is why I have this podcast. This is why I do math therapy. What I would say is I do not care what math you do. If you, you know, get quote unquote better at math, anything like that. All I care about is from this conversation we are having Mm -hmm. that you feel like you have a better relationship with math than you currently do. And all I would want them to do, literally what we said a few questions ago, I would say, can can we go through a list of things that are considered math? And can you tell me if you're good at any of these? And they would obviously be able to find one or two in there. Like maybe they're the problem solver in the family. Maybe they're really good at spotting what the new trend is. Like they're the person who packs their car. I don't care. They find a couple. And then I would just say, all I want you to take from this conversation is you're good at math. Mm-hmm. You might not be good at the skills that we always attribute to math. Maybe you're not fast. Maybe you're not good at mental math. Maybe you're not good at estimating. But you are good at math in a way that some people are not. I am so horrible at reading a map. That is math. I do not have that math skill. It doesn't make me bad at math. And you're not bad at math either. You have your own set of skills. If that piques their interest, I would be like, I want you to think of one concept that you just never understood from like grade six to nine. And I want you to relearn it because I promise as an adult now, you can figure out how to add fractions. That's that's Mm -hmm. one of the main things people can't do, add fractions. Like, so that would be my next step. Just to prove to yourself, you can do more math than you think you can and then move on with your life. It's the confidence for me. It's going into the world thinking, I'm capable of solving problems. Mm -hmm. This lie I've been told about being mad at math is a lie. And everything else in my life that is a limiting belief that has stemmed from that, I'm not a math person. I'm not a relationship person. I'm not a job person. I don't care. Whatever the things are you've limited yourself to after that, I want you to start thinking that you can revisit those too. Because that's what I always say is, limiting beliefs so often start with math because most kids, like this is a stat, most, over 50% of kids are taught that they are not math people, which means that there is something on the planet you were born unable to do. And once you get that in your head, you're screwed. Because every other obstacle that comes your way, you're like, am I not of this person? Am I not of that person? Right? So Mm -hmm. sorry, that was such a long answer. (laughs) That was perfect. I love that. That was so inspiring. I feel like 
we could just like keep talking for hours, but I we feel can. like that is like the perfect way to end this. But before you go, I want to ask you um, a couple rapid fire lightning round question? questions. No, 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 no. Okay. They're okay, kind of just silly questions. I got math anxiety. Ready? <laughs> no, I won't ask you that quadratic question. <laughs> Would you rather face a zombie apocalypse or an alien invasion? Oh my God, definitely an alien invasion. I'd be useless in a zombie apocalypse. I have like no like survival skills. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. All right, question. Aliens would like us. I feel like aliens would like take us under their wing. Okay, yeah. I want to see what aliens are like because I feel like we already know what zombie. Zombies are going to be like humans. Right? Also, like maybe we are aliens. Okay, sorry. Sorry, go. What is your favorite meal? Oh, charcuterie board. Really? Oh my God. I just like, got I, into charcuterie boards like a, <gasps> this year. <laughs> They're like what? so new. Well, not this 2023. Like last year. I'd never had a charcuterie board until like Oh very my God. Recently. <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. And the presentation, you can put anything on it. Yep, that's 100%. I would eat that every day. Last and final question. What is your favorite Madonna song? Like a Prayer. I know it's basic, but it's just such a banger. There was like it's a It's so period. good. It's so good. It's like a masterpiece. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Vanessa. Thank you for coming on Think Queen. Before you go, I have one final question that I'm asking all my guests here, which is if somebody was listening at home, they want it to be just like you, do what you do, own their own tutoring studio, what advice would you give to them? I would say find people who are doing things that you admire and just talk to them. Reach out and be like, hey, can I just have a quick chat to see how you got started, what your fears are, what your dreams are, like what the first step you took was. Communication. Love that. Great advice. And where <laughs> can everybody find you online? At The Math Guru on everything, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram's my fave, podcast, Math Therapy. You can find that on any podcast app. And if you just want to go to a good old-fashioned website, themathguru.ca. Oh, and I- Oh, and my band. Look your at my band, band guys. yes. Good night, sunrise. Good night, sunrise. Yeah, look us up. Good night, sunrise. <laughs> That's the most important thing. And uh, on Instagram, we're at good night, sunrise band. But just, yeah, good night, sunrise. You'll find us. I love that. Thanks so much for being on the very first season of Think Queen. <gasps> This was so fun. I loved it. I'm so <laughs> sweaty and fired up. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Think Queen is produced by Entertainment One. Director of Programming at E1's Podcast Network, Sasha Tong. Producer, Maddie Hanukkah and Sasha Tong. Associate Producers, Chris Chu. Edited and mixed by Maddie Hanukkah. For more episodes, subscribe to Think Queen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. And if you like this podcast, share it with your friends and make sure to leave a rating and review. Subscribe now to Think Queen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>